the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and welcome to the Marketing Forward Movement, where marketers are finally starting to help healthcare be about consumers and innovation. If you want to be a part of it, then this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement, and you're going to be one of the ones shifting the way that healthcare is marketed and experienced. Before we get started, I am so excited to announce the latest video chat series from Shift.Health called The Resilience Journey. This series was created for everyone who's struggling with an unexpected job change, a derailed career plan, or unfulfilling work. Join me as I uncover the unexpected moments in the career journeys of admirable leaders by digging into the moments in their careers that we don't often hear about. The first two episodes are out now, and they feature Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. It's free and available on demand at Shift.Health, so go subscribe today. So here's what's going to go down today. We'll kick things off with the flavor of the week about reimagining healthcare. Then we've got Chris Bevelo from Revive Health in the house to give us his take on the opportunities and risks of the catalyzing moment that we're living through right now. Let's get to it. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Everything is on the table right now. Nothing is disruption proof. We're going through a moment where we finally have permission to reimagine how healthcare is marketed and experienced in many of the ways we've been talking about for years, but probably never felt like we had permission to act on. I'm not just talking about the way health systems market themselves to consumers, but also how vendors and agencies market to them. The one thing that is becoming clearer by the day is that the least productive way to handle the pandemic is to sit around waiting for things to go back to the way they were. Because newsflash, things are not going back. Which brings us to this catalyst moment. Let me give you permission to reimagine healthcare right here, right now. You can start at the top of the food chain with the in-person fee-for-service sick care business model, or you can go further down closer to your day-to-day world. But yes, let me give you permission to reimagine how things could be different. Let me give you two examples. First, for health systems. What if you didn't have to spend time and money promoting U.S. news rankings? Because deep down you know that having quality care is table stakes anyway, so that $40,000 badge has very little impact on a consumer's choice. What would you be able to do instead? Second, for vendors, what if you could create a lead gen strategy that did not involve booths at trade shows? Because deep down you know the pain of chasing down leads the rest of the year because they may have signed up for a booth draw but weren't really interested in talking to your sales team. How could you put your budget to different use? In fact, what if you could create a lasting, ongoing, valuable relationship all year round where qualified prospects were begging you to contact them? These exercises are critical to start training ourselves to think differently. 
because if we keep thinking the same way we did before COVID, we'll create the same problems after, and the world will have passed us by. So before you go back to thinking this is too pie in the sky, here's my challenge to you. Commit this week to spend 10 minutes a day to reimagine some aspect of your world. Just 10 minutes. Answer the question, what is a problem that you talk about all the time? Now, what if the barriers to solving that problem weren't there anymore? Disruption isn't just for the big stuff. It's also for our day-to-day roles, which are going to change a lot over the next 12 months. Let's figure it out together. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right, listeners. Hey, Chris Bevelo is back in the house. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. Chris is the Executive Vice President at Revive Health. He's the author of six books, most recently, The Gospel of Growth. And now he's the host of the No Normal Show, the podcast out there that's talking about everything that's going on right now. And uh, Chris, welcome back to the Healthcare Wrap. How are you today? Jared, I'm great. Thank you for having me back. Of course, it was on my list for a long time to make this happen. And I'm just glad now because, holy cow, when I had you on here last time, it was January. We were talking about the gospel of growth. We were talking about what do you think is going to happen coming up? And, and it's just comical now. It just really is. I seem to recall that we predicted a pandemic, I think, in January, you and I did. We said, well, I think we really need to plan for a lot of things. Like a pandemic could come along and completely change everything in the world. I think, I think we called it. Am I remembering that right? Or no? Yeah, you totally were. I just wanted to feel a little modest, you know, <laughs> at least. And, and uh, you know, but you're right. Yeah, we, we called the whole thing. And in fact, we yes. probably called the next part of, uh, I can't remember what we said comes next. Do you recall what, what we said then? You know, what, what Alien invasion. It was an alien invasion. That's I think that's January of this coming year. So mark that down. All right, mark it down. <laughs> right on. Hey, we might as well. I mean, we might as well throw stuff out there. I mean, literally, this last right. week I saw locust invasions and I saw a fire tornado in California. So mm-hmm. are you a TikTok follower? My daughter is. I do follow TikTok. I don't have an account, but I, it's just so much entertainment. And there's a, a TikTok, whatever they're called. There's, they got a name. The people are on there all the time. He's probably my age. He's probably our age, your age. Your age is younger than my age. He kind of looks like you. He's got the beard. He's got the same hair. He's got glasses. And all he does is, these are like 30 to 60 second videos. His video will be some kind of news story, apocalyptic news story. And he'll just wander into the kind of, into the frame with a cup of coffee. And he's always wearing a bathrobe. And he just kind of looks up over his glasses at the headline and the song that's playing is that song that says like, hell to the no. So it's the same <laughs> thing every time. But it's a different headline. And the last one was the fire tornado where he just comes <laughs> in and he looks up at the, you know, National Weather Service warns of a fire tornado and he just shakes his head and he goes off screen. And that's all he does every time. But he's got enough fodder this year that he's got an update like every week because there's always, there's always something. Oh, he's going to be the most popular TikToker or whatever. Yes, TikToker. This is, yeah, this is showing my, my out-of-dateness as well. Um, but yes, yes, uh, I, I'm no doubt. He has exponentially grown his following this, this year. Just, yes. man, talk about picking the right topic and the whole gig. But man, right. what I, just add that to the list of things I wish I'd either invented or come up with or started a show around. And I wouldn't have even had to like, be on here doing this anymore. But you never know. No, you're on your, you're, you got, you're on your way. You seem to figure out that thing that like, that's like that, that gets you even beyond healthcare marketing in the healthcare world. And you can be famous on TikTok. We I mean, don't try to be famous on TikTok. It's only got like 44 days left or whatever. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We'll just add that to, to the list of everything. And right, uh, in, in the right. meantime, what, what we can do is kind of, uh, uh, we, we can either sit here and, and uh, continue, which, you know, that would be a, full, a fun whole other show. 
you know, just general predictions. We can just back it out and like, forget just healthcare, forget just marketing, you know, we're going to just predict other things. I think that would be a good show. That might be like a, I don't know, a, an episode or a series of one of our shows, but we, we got to yes. at least do like a segment. It can be like a 30, uh, 30 to 60 seconds. I kind of like the format, you know, just really quick. Hey, here's the thing today. I think actually, Jared, I know where we're headed with the topic today. And I think it's valid to, to actually consider something like that because you know, the things that are, that are happening now and the things that are going to happen impact our world, but a lot of them are outside of our world. And so here's an example of a prediction. I'll give you one right now and I'll show you how stupid this is to do this. So in talking to some people about how are the things that are going on with COVID and, and the no normal in society, how is that going to impact what we do at hospitals and health systems? We talk a lot about virtual care, right? That's exploded. And the impact that's going to have on how people receive care and, and what they're willing to do or not do. And I think about transportation overall. And I think about, especially during lockdown, but even more so, how much less I travel, right? How much I, I, I need to travel less, how much I, I can't travel as much. We have two cars, like everybody, a family our size has two cars. One of them just collects dust because it's mine. We don't need it all the time. We're working from home. And so that leads me to think, will we get to a place where people like us go, do we really need two cars? Like why pay for two cars? Because I mean, we can coordinate with one. We've got Uber and Lyft, especially when COVID goes away, right? And so then you start thinking about, well, if people don't need two cars anymore, what does that say for the car industry? Like is, is it going to depress car sales, right? I've had that conversation with folks and thinking like, well, is that a prediction for where this is going to no normal? And then last week, I see that car sales are through the roof because people are buying cars because they want to get the hell out and travel. So it's like, oh, so is that, am I completely wrong in thinking that? Or is that just a temporary lift or whatever? But it just shows you the danger of predicting alien invasion and car industry. I'll tell you, and I've heard part of that part of that story, I think you shared on, on The No Normal yeah. recently, and it's great to hear the other part of it. And the other part is that most people don't actually go back and fact check predictions we've made in the past. So we can almost still kind of say whatever we want and no one will, no one will think, oh, Chris and Jared were like totally wrong on that one. They'll just be like, oh, I wonder what they're predicting this week. So you never right. know. That's right. That's the hot take, right? All you need is one to hit. And then you get famous and people forget the other 99 that you were wrong on. But but I think all that relates to what we're going to talk about, right? It really does. It, it's a great way to segue into the rap battle. Rap battle! The rap battle is where we challenge the status quo in healthcare. It started out just ch- talking about marketing and, hey, how do we do that better? How do we recognize who we're marketing to, what we need to actually be sharing? Like, what's a brand experience all about? I mean, two and a half years ago when we started this. And it's evolved into so many other things that feed into that. And today, rather than a prediction, I'd say this is more of a hypothesis. This is kind of a attempting to genuinely see what's happening on the broader view. And so I'll throw this out there. It could totally be wrong, you know, like, like we were just giving some examples of. And that's totally fair. Here's what I'm thinking, though. So I want to hypothesize that right now, that this is a catalyst moment in potentially in our history of our of our industry. Uh, call it what you want, a watershed moment, a you know a galvanizing moment, but a moment for marketers to finally take advantage of the uncertainty, use that space, realize there's a sense of urgency, but finally lead that charge for health systems to be consumer first, to shift from reactive to proactive. 
And I don't know how many more opportunities we're going to get to do this. So for us to really ramp up and, and see the opportunity that's right in front of us now to see, like, we've all talked about this shift. I mean, ever since I've, you know, I've been in the industry or at a podcast or whatever, talking about stuff, we have always talked about, of course, we need to be consumer first. Of course, we need to be innovative. But yeah, we, we like being disrupted. This is great. And we don't talk much about going upstream to the actual business models themselves of sit care. We're like, hey, just tell us what you want to promote. Tell us what you want to package up. We're marketing. We're Marcom. Hey, we're, we're over here and we'll, we'll take care of that part, but totally downstream. Once somebody else figures out all the ins and outs of the offering itself, this is what I'm worried about. Now we throw in virtual visits or we shift a proportion of virtual visits because they've been around, goodness, man, a long time right. in one form or another. Years and years and years, way more than I think a lot of people realize until, I don't know, February of this year. <laughs> That's right. And, and I'm worried that we're just going to see this opportunity, kind of look at it, like wave at it from the sidelines and just say, oh, that was that was fun. Now somebody else is going to come right in and, and tell us what to market again. And instead, here's this golden shining opportunity for us to finally take charge and say, no, you know what? We've been talking about virtual visits. Here's what our data is telling us now. Here's what this is telling us about consumers. Yeah, and here's how it's changed over the last, you know, six, eight months or whatnot. Here's what we can do. Here's what we can bring to the table. And so I don't know if that, if I'm just living in this vacuum and I'm dreaming this up or if there's some validity to that. So I'm curious what you're seeing, what you're hearing. Are, are people realizing that there's an opportunity for that? Or are they they just kind of wondering what to do? I think people are recognizing the opportunity for it, at least in the conversations we have with clients or other health systems. And I think that you can apply it generally to the industry, but I think they're also not necessarily seeing the risk. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But the evidence I would have to this, Jared, is a number of things. So first of all, we would have expected the impact that, that has been had on hospitals and health systems financially to have flowed through to the marketing departments in a greater degree than it has. So we have seen, you know, layoffs, furloughs, budget cuts, all of those things to marketing departments, to be fair, but not to the degree that you might have expected. And I think the reason for that is because the financial hole is something that people internally go, well, we need to fill that immediately. You know, we were we turned things off for two months or one month or whatever it was, and we got to turn it back on. And they think marketing, which is good. Now, they may be thinking about it in the wrong way. They may be thinking about a promotion and advertising. And that's okay because there's a role for that too. But that shows you that the leaders are going, these, we need these folks at the table, at least in that regard. We, have, again, have seen budgets, cuts and furloughs and that type of thing in marketing departments. But we're still seeing them play a significant role. So that's all good. And I think virtual care is yet another piece of evidence where everybody... This is kind of the story, and I, I don't want to apply it to everybody, but to your point, yeah, we had like 15 virtual visits a week coming into February. And I'm going to say we, because this is like any health system, big health system, right? By the time April was done, we were up to 25,000 a week. And the way that happened was basically do whatever you need to. Like a lot of the people we've talked to have one, two, three, five, ten 10 different virtual visit platforms going at once. They basically said, hey, docs, use whatever you can because the regulations got turned off. And if you want to use Zoom, use Zoom. If you want to use Teams, use Teams. If you want to use FaceTime, use FaceTime. Use whatever it takes, right? So most folks went to some level kind of extrapolation that way. And now most of them are saying, okay, 
we need to kind of figure out a long-term, more permanent solution that's not 14 platforms, but one. Maybe it's my chart. Maybe it's not my chart. Maybe it's partly my chart. My chart's got a lot of challenges when you use the virtual care option, right? So what is it? And so many of them are going through a process to, to think through strategically what the best solution is. And the marketers are at the table at that level. So not just at the promotional level, but also at the, what's the best way to leverage virtual care, which is where we want marketers at the table, thinking creatively about, can we leverage it beyond just the urgent care kind of teledoc situation we originally had? Can we use it for high acuity volume? Can we use it for surgical consults and surgical follow-ups and all everything beyond what we typically would have, right? And marketers seem to be at the table for that. So all that tells me that folks are, to the degree they can, taking advantage of the opportunity right now to show up for their organizations. The fear is, the risk is, that we don't do that to the degree that we can or should or that it doesn't last. So I think like when you say this is a pivotal moment, a watershed moment, I totally agree. For this industry, it's a watershed moment. For marketers, it's a watershed moment within that. So the opportunity is massive, but the risk is also massive. And that's what I mentioned before, because if we don't take full advantage of it, we're going to be in worse shape coming out, either as an industry, as marketers, or more worrisome as individual marketers or teams. What do you think? Tell us more about the risk there. So the risk of marketers not still earning their seat at the table or being seated at the table, finally, like what we keep talking about, we, we just wish we had that seat. And being there and, and not providing enough perceived value of being there and then losing that seat, is that kind of where you're going with it? Totally it, right? Just You just put it perfect, right? There's that table. We all want to be at the table. And COVID has given us a chance to be at the table. We've been there for crisis communications. We've been brought forward to help with information around COVID. We've been brought forward to help with virtual care. We've been brought forward, hopefully, to help fill our surgical volumes back up and being valued for all of those things, more so maybe than ever before. So that's the opportunity. The door was open. They ushered us to the table. Hopefully, we sat at the table The question is, are we providing the value there? Because if we can't do it here, then coming out of this, the the risk is folks are going to go, wow, like we invited you to the table and we gave you these opportunities and we saw you in this way and didn't really see it. If that's where you end up, coming out of this is going to be worse than where you were before. That's the risk. And I don't know that... You know how this industry is. Like Some folks are probably killing it. Some folks are probably doing what they need to. Some folks are kind of struggling and some folks probably just aren't showing up, right? So it's a little bit of a a self-check, I think, to kind of use that frame as your guide to say, are we at the table in the way we want to? Because if you're not, that's also a bad sign because if you're not now, whenever, and what does it take to get there? And if you are there, are you showing the right kind of value? So like you said before, not just the promotional P of the four Ps, are you contributing to real business challenges in a way that goes beyond advertising or promotion? And the more that you're doing that, the more value you're going to be coming out of that. So that I think is something that folks should be kind of to the degree they can assessing. I do see that. And I see it in in that light, you know, as we think about that, you've even had a couple of guests recently on the No Normal Show that have talked about... you the business decisions side of it. So Scott Weber at M Health Fairview talking about 
voluntarily uh, drastically reducing the size of a team, but then talking about the structure of the team and what those responsibilities are and what they aren't, what in his mind created business value in a traditional Marcom slash marketing department. And then you had Paul Matson from Cleveland Clinic talking about what data they're using to turn on their acquisition campaigns again, how they're monitoring data in such real time that they can make those decisions, turn things on and off, and really look at a business model. He's very much at the table looking at, do we package up virtual visits as a thing, as part of a business model with other things? How do we use all this data from all these platforms that that we've got stood up? I found those things really interesting. Anything else from those conversations or other guests you've had on recently that, that were just kind of like, oh, uh-huh, like that's something to, to think about or look at as we move forward? Yeah, I think you bring up two examples. You know, most people know Paul Madsen at Cleveland Clinic. And of course, Paul's always been a leader. And a lot of times it's easy for people to kind of just miss, well, you know, okay, well, it's Paul, right? You know, Paul's got lots of budget and he's blah, blah, blah. But we shouldn't dismiss the things that Paul prioritizes because we can all follow that, right? And folks may not be as aware of Scott, but they should be because what Scott's doing is pretty radical. Like you mentioned, you know, proactively cutting his team to a third of what it was. I think there's a couple of points to this. First of all, but what you mentioned from both Paul and Scott were things they put in place before COVID. So Scott's vision about what he wanted to prioritize, really being focused to the degree that he could cut his, his team into a third and say, this is all I need to get done, the things that are important to me, and I'm going to outsource the rest. That was the decision he made before COVID. Paul talked a lot about the decisions they made in terms of data and digital before COVID that are helping them now, right? And I think both of those two are among a handful of people that everybody should be looking at as leaders in the industry, but you know they're leaders. And so not everybody's at their advanced stage, right? But to the earlier conversation, COVID gives you a chance to accelerate. And There's a client, I won't say which one it was, but it's another sophisticated, unbelievable marketer who talked about the idea of using the situation we're in as a forcing function. And I love that term. So it's been a forcing function for accelerated use of virtual care. What else can we use our COVID situation as a forcing function for in terms of advancing how we want to be seen and valued and show up as marketers? So it could be the design of your team and who and, and what roles you have. It could be what are your priorities now? Because maybe you've been forced to prioritize in a way because of budget cuts or the need to drive volume. And you look around and you go, yeah, this should be a permanent prioritization, not just because we're in COVID. How can you take advantage of the role you've been given or the situation we're in to be a forcing function for how you want to move forward. That's an opportunity that you get now that you might not have had before to catch up a little bit with the Scots and the and the Pauls, right? Um, everybody wants to be where they're at to a degree. This is an opportunity to take a number of steps to move forward if you can. Hey there, listeners. If you're all about listening to your website visitors to learn more about how to improve your website experience, then G-Site is for you. G-Site is a suite of digital improvement tools that capture the voice of the digital customer. 
Hi, I'm Rob Klein, co-founder of G-Site and founder and CEO of Klein & Partners, a market research and brand consulting firm dedicated to helping hospitals and health systems find their brand voice. I co-developed this service offering with the team at Greystone.net several years ago. G-Site helps you prioritize and focus your website improvement and enhancement efforts. It's a suite of solutions including a pop-up website experience survey tool, a user-friendly dashboard and reporting tool, a user behavior tracking tool, expert consulting services, and more. What if I told you that 8% of your visitors have a new negative opinion of your brand after visiting your website? Now multiply that number by the total number of annual visitors. Does that number scare you? If so, go to www.graystone.net forward slash gsite to learn more about how we can help and sign up for an introductory overview. Hope to speak with you soon. You know, another side of that I like as examples are the fact that you mentioned Paul. People can look at someone like Paul and say, yeah, they, like you said, they've, they've just got budget here and, and we're here and how can we even compare that? I love the fact of that you point out, just don't dismiss that out of hand because the things he still learned still apply to everybody. The way he is prioritized applies to everyone and he has earned the budget. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, he has earned the budget that he's got by being able to prove value in what he's been doing so far. So it's not like, hey, you know, just kind of walked into this. And I mean, very much not the case. You know, I'd hate for us to miss lessons like that because we tell that to ourselves. I find myself, one reason I have to, you know, keep talking to people, having them on the podcast or a video chat or wherever is we're not getting these opportunities to kind of validate our roles at conferences in person. We're not getting to have the, con- the hallway conversations this year. Everything's going virtual. And so we're not getting, I think I'm seeing the greater value of those types of interactions that, that I am definitely missing this year. And so I'd hate to start going a direction in a vacuum and think, you know, start going down one direction and realize it's, it's not that useful because I didn't have a chance to just catch up with people and hear what they're thinking and, and that kind of thing. So I think there are several lessons out of the examples you just gave and you know, one of the other parts of it is is just start some starting points. And this is kind of a, a lesson about the the greater opportunity because there is uncertainty. Right? No one, no one has gone through this at all before. So no one's holding the playbook and keeping us all from reading it. We're all trying to figure it out together. So quick little wins can actually do a lot of good. And taking little steps in a direction we in informed direction that we believe can help, such as understanding better what analytics we have and what decisions we're making from that. I tend to see that as kind of a perennial shortcoming of marketers, understanding how to read and act on our analytics. For many years, it just felt like metrics, analytics, measurement, that was the end. That wasn't the means to the end. We were just so excited we could measure things. And then we're still in this period. I find a lot of times of, okay, wait, what do we do with that? And then there's the opposite that has happened of like the, the flip side of that, of measuring too many things, like, like having so many knee-jerk reactions to things because we didn't put any strategy in it. Like we're only reacting to one data point and we're not looking at the pattern over, over a month. And so I think we still bear the risk of that mistake as well, of just looking at 
one data point as a moment in time. And right now, more than ever, that data point could mean nothing a week from now. And so you just got to be careful. Yeah, you know, a great kind of example of what you're talking about, Jared, is the data that we continue to see and we've been seeing since March, right? We at Revive, but also just writ large, of people being fearful of coming back into the hospital. There was just an article today I saw. Um, I can't remember what it was, but but still there's research that shows from the provider side that people aren't coming back, let alone consumer surveys, right? That's an example of where we need to go further than just you know, of course, people hear that and they they are trying to do something about it. But typically, like we get stuck in maybe a higher level, we need to have a campaign that tells people they need to come back in. Instead of getting down into the nuance of, well, who are we talking to and who do we need to have come back in? And how does this data point that people are fearful really show up? Because it shows up differently, right? So for example, I think what's really interesting is we saw this, right? We saw the large degree, the large percentage of people that were hesitant and they're saying, we're going to put off care, they're going to put off care. Yet when we opened as hospitals in May, what happened? Most people filled right back up to 80 or 90%. Now still there's a gap there. We can't survive at even 90%, but we filled up pretty quickly. So what could we have learned from that? We probably would have learned if we've dug deeper that, you know what, for the things that people really needed to do, they were going to overcome their fear, right? So if the calculus is, I was supposed to have joint replacement, say hip replacement, and it got put off because of COVID, and I'm having trouble just walking up and down the stairs in my house, when I'm able to come back in, I'm going to come back in, even if I have fear of COVID, right? Now, that's very different than if I had a physical plan or if I had an annual skin cancer checkup or if I had diabetes consult. Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, eh, I don't need to come in for that, right? That's a very important nuance. And when you think about your communications and your marketing and how you're going out there, a blanket statement about coming back in is wasted on the joint guy and not enough for the diabetes consult guy, right? And so that's where it comes down to, to your point, how do we actually activate those learnings to the degree that we can to drive the things that we need? We need volumes. Fine. How do we do that? We also need that diabetes consult or we need the scan or we need the physical because we know it's a pipeline, not to be crude about it, but it is. And if we don't have those diagnostics and that preventative care, we're not going to have the surgeries in two or three months that come from that in mass, right? And so to your point, we have to go beyond just people are scared, you know, put something on our website that says you don't have to be scared. We're going to have to get way more nuanced, way more personalized to the degree that we can. And this is another opportunity to show how we can do that. 100%. 100%. So random question then. If, uh, if you could wave a magic wand over healthcare marketing teams and help them understand one thing perfectly about their data, what would that be? Like, What do we need to understand better just more than anything? This is going to sound super rudimentary, but I think it's worth repeating. Somebody in our agency posted an article, and I remember where it was from, but it was t- it basically showed that We need to forget about demographics or demographics need to be like a third level priority in terms of understanding people. That psychographics are far more important. I know that sounds obvious, but when you stop and think how we actually leverage data and act on it, how often are we starting with personas that say, we want to target women age, I'm going to make it up, right? 35 to 55. Okay, uh, boy, 
Like, is that a target? How can we use the word, the verb target for women 35 to 55? You might as well say like, we want to target, you know, women and orange trees and tables made of pine cones. That's what we want to target. Because women aged 35 to 55, that's not even a cohort, is it? Just because they share a gender or even a, a select age, that's not even a select age, right? Even if you said we want to target women aged 35 to 36, well, what are we talking about here? What are we targeting for? What are the psychographics, right? It goes back to, you know, soccer moms is the cliche thing or, or TikTok moms or whatever it is now, right? We're far more effective when we can think about people from that consumer psychology side than the, dem- the demographic side. We start with the demographic side because it's easier to get. But if we stop with that, if that's our primary means of persona development, of journey mapping, of targeting, they were really leaving a lot on the table. So I don't know, that just popped in my mind. I'm not sure that is the number one thing. You asked me for the number one thing. It's the most recent thing that I can think of that I think is powerful. And obviously with the access to data and tools we have now, we should be able to do more and more of that. It's just harder to. I'd agree to that. I don't know what the, there was no right answer to that, you know? So I, I no. like there's, if there was, I think we'd be talking about it a lot, but I think we're onto something in terms of that's the direction to go. And to kind of bring a lot of this to a point, that comfort level, having that comfort level with the uncertainty. If I had to take a step back and like, what, what quality, like what characteristic, what do I need to develop professionally to be able to handle this and whatever comes next, if it's a fire tornado or alien invasion or whatever it is, it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be different than this. So what are those, those types of characteristics we have to really develop? I think that comfort with the discomfort yeah. is definitely part of it. And so if we have trained ourselves to just wait for somebody to hand us the playbook, whether it's at a conference or it's, it's somewhere else and say like, this is all you will ever need. It's all in there and you don't even have to think about it, and it's all proven with real-life proven examples. And now, don't get me wrong, like, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good content out there. There are a lot of good examples, a lot of things we base things off of. But it's never the 100% playbook that applies to you as much today as it did yesterday. And so, that, I mean, I'm just seeing that across the, across the board. The more we can get used to that, the more we can find ways to move forward in a direction. It's an informed direction. Hey, we know it's, we know it's this way. It's not, we know it's North. It's not South. We don't know if it's North, Northeast, but we know it's North. So let's head that way. I see that that's going to be a big part of, of who marketers become after this. Yeah. And to your point, it should have been who we were before this. And in other industries, it was, I think COVID and what we call the no normal is forcing it because you can't trust that something you know today works is going to work next week or in a month. But honestly, even after COVID, you should have that mindset because it's really a matter of constant learning and adding more and more intel because the world we live in now allows you to real-time monitor what's working, what's not. And that probably never ends. You're, never, you're going to exhaust your resources and your time before you exhaust the opportunity to learn and improve. So getting us in the habit of being comfortable with that. That's something that's that's not normal for this industry. One, we've been behind marketing from other industries from that standpoint. We're also a slower industry. That's just who we are. If we're real about what we can accomplish in marketing, that should be the normal. It's just the constant flexibility and real-time improvement. And this time now forces it. 
because you can't trust what's happening. But once we come out of this, I think that's the right mindset anyway. Perfect. All right, let me wrap up with this one then. On a personal level, what are you excited about the most in this era of the no normal? And what are you least excited about? I'm most excited about the opportunity for marketing to step into the the role we all want to be in. Most of us want to be in. Because I think it's there for the taking. And I think a lot of us want it. So that's the most exciting part. I mean, honestly, the most worrisome part is that this doesn't... I mean, let's be real. This doesn't get better. It gets worse from a disease standpoint, from a pandemic standpoint. And that that it has an effect on our industry that is also long-term and negative. Hospitals and health systems are struggling still. And we can't get the folks in DC to figure out how much they want to help. I don't know how much that's going to change. It's certainly not going to be the level that the industry would like in terms of federal support. And I would just hate to see the industry suffer long-term because it's struggling financially. So in terms of like, well... You're going to forget about that patient experience we all wanted because we can barely like give you a Band-Aid kind of thing. Like To be extreme about it, that would be the negative. That all the things we hope and dream about what this our industry should be able to turn into, a consumer-centric type of system that delivers excellent care at lower cost with a better experience. You know, If we continue to see financial strain, something's got to give. And that will be really sad if we go into some kind of decade depression of you know, we're back to basics and that's we're hanging on and quality suffers and cost suffers and forget about the experience. That's a real potential. So let's hope it doesn't go there. We will that was hope a prediction. So. Ooh. Yeah. Let's hope I was wrong yeah. about that, like I was about the the car industry, just to bring it back full circle. <laughs> there we go. There we go. This is one, yeah. We'll keep a scorecard after this episode. You know, we'll come back to this like three months from now and We'll, we'll keep score because... I think I need a Snickers. I think it's mid-afternoon I need a Snickers after I hear that. <laughs> that was like a Snickers ad where somebody's like... Rrr, rrr. No, I like... You know what? <laughs> we, don't, don't we have to? Like, don't we have to look at all things from every side? Yeah. And, and you were scenario planning. I mean, so I, I don't see anything wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, we said we, the, yeah. the good and the bad. So I had to give, I had to give a bad answer. It's fair. There that was go. pretty dark though. I went to a really dark place. I apologize. Oh, well, you still didn't say anything about fire tornadoes. So I think you're good. I think you're okay. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Well, Chris, thanks so much for, for giving me a few minutes today. How do listeners connect with you if they want to do so? Yeah, they can reach out to me via email at CAB, like taxi cab, but just cab, cab at thinkrevivehealth.com. Find about all the stuff we're doing at website, thinkrevivehealth.com. It's where you can also find the information on the No Normal podcast or it's on iTunes. So, and on your network, I should mention, they can go to your network to find out more information, correct? Yes, now they can go to shift.health. That's right. And find the No Normal show. Very excited about that. So Chris just wanted to say thanks. So stay safe, stay well, keep up all the good work. Keep uh, giving us things to think about and, and, and help us evolve as an industry. And can't wait to hear from you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Jared. Looking forward to the next time. Hey, thanks to Chris and thank you for listening. Don't forget to be a part of the Marketing Forward movement. Listen, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's podcasts and video series about shifting the way healthcare is marketed and experienced. So on behalf of Chris and myself, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap.